You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Religion rehab, we need that. And I'm going to jump right into a passage of Scripture. Heads up, this is where Jesus is getting hostile real quick on some religious folks. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 says, Woe to you! You could translate that probably a lot of different ways, but this, this is a strong warning. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So he's just easing right into this combo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> How many know that's a, that's a tough start to your opening line with these people? You, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the, which look beautiful on the outside. I don't know what's funny, but I'm going to keep going. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. You're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I I figure this is a good little snapshot of what religion is. Religion is personified in what Jesus is calling out here to the Pharisees. Listen, religion is facades of, of righteousness, but death on the inside. Religion is all of the, the checkboxes of faith, but without the real power of God, right? Religion is in this situation, he's calling them out. And one of the people, one of the groups that Jesus was most intense with was the religious people. Man, he had a lot of grace, and we're going to see more of that for all kinds of people. But religion was something Jesus was not about. Because oftentimes, just like in the situation, religion is, is more of a place of death. It's facades of perfection. It's people trying to act part, look the part. And a lot of times churches operate like this, where it's we're going through motions and we raise our hands during worship to look the part and we say amen in a message to look the part. But if we're not really in a relationship, like we're talking about going from religion to relationship, if we're not in relationship with Jesus, then we're like these Pharisees. Well, we, we might have a fresh coat of paint on the outside, the whitewash coat of paint, but we're full of dead man's bones. We're full of uncleanness. We're, we're, we're lost before we start. And Jesus is raging against this concept. Jesus is pushing against this. Is people who are, who are trying to not only themselves act and appear righteous when they're not, but also trying to force this religious rules and these, these, these errors of perfection onto people around them. And nobody can stand in it. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is religion doesn't work. Religion has no power to save. Formalities and and going through the motions and the facades of things doesn't do the trick. That's part part of the challenge. And Jesus is pushing back against that. Uh, Religion makes ourselves sometimes feel good about ourselves because maybe we've mastered some element that people can see, but doesn't really deal with the heart of things doesn't deal with the inside, doesn't deal with the dead man's bones that are on the inside of us that we, that we got to deal with. So religion is something that weighs heavy on us, but I love Jesus. He, he brings out in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he says this. He's kind of given the opposite, a bit of the antidote. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the Pharisees were constantly heaping extra weight on the people to try to live up to some standard of righteousness and perfection that nobody could do, and not even themselves did it, right? But they're constantly heaping this up on people, continuously putting a burden of pressure, and then guilt and shame would, would come alongside of that, and no one could ever live up to it. But Jesus says, listen, I need you to follow me. I need you to walk with me a little bit here. I, I've got a different way of going about this. I've got a grace for you. My, my way is, is light. My way is easy. My, my way is, is going to be full of peace. It's going to be full of grace. Uh, take take my, my way on you. See, when it talks about yoke, that's a reference to a couple things. One is literally the, a yoke was something that's over top of two animals and they're pulling a plow. But also in this situation, Jesus is referencing his way of teaching, uh, his truth, his word, his principles. Because the Pharisees had totally confused the heck out of what God really wanted. Um, like the Messianic uh, pastor, Jew, uh, Alex Klotz said, hey, do, do you guys know he's Jewish? This is unbelievable. Uh, every time I'm around, I feel more like I'm hanging out with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And, and he reminded us, this is amazing. I love it. I love it. We got to Israel, and it's like, you know, now you, you, you like, I don't know if he's in the direct line of Judah or not, but it's possible. This could be, you know. On the mom's side, you know, you could be like the long, long, distant grand grandkid of Jesus' brother James. I don't know. We don't know. Ancestry.com, check it out. <laughs> uh, but Jesus calls us and, and gives us an opportunity to walk with him and to take on a, a way of teaching that... It is light and it's full of peace. Now, the way of following Christ is an all-out life of sacrifice, right? So it's not like following Jesus is easy in the sense of it won't cost you something, but it's easy in the sense of it's not about religious activity. It's about a relationship with Jesus, right? And, and so it's, it's a totally different thing. It's a totally different reality. And so tonight is I kind of get my sort of slice of, uh, of, of the pie here to, to lean into this religion rehab. I want to talk about something called what I'll call the religion lie. We'll talk about the religion lie. So we're going to lean into tonight. I, I think, you know, I think this is this, if we could try to narrow it down, what's, what's one of the primary lies that religion tries to sell, sell to us or say to us? And we're going to get into Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to citizens of that country who sent him to, his, to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, you know you're in a bad space when pig food looks good. You know what I mean? 
Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up, he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, man, that's such a great story. He saw his father, and he was filled with compassion. His father was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Verse 21, this is where the prodigal is rehearsing his speech, his I'm not worthy speech. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And we'll, We'll continue the story in a second. I think most of you know the story, so it's not a major spoiler. We'll, we'll get to the, to the good part. But, but he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I, I think this kind of clues us into to kind of the lie of religion, kind of the, the, the thing that, and it's not just religion in and of itself. It's actually the lie of the enemy, and he uses religion as, as his kind of mask, his cloaking device to kind of get it into our hearts. And, and here's kind of the thought is that I, I'm only loved if. I'm only loved if. And then you can kind of fill in, in your own blank. If I, if I measure up, if I meet the standard, if I do what's right. And, and in his situation, the prodigal son is coming back to dad and He's already decided I'm not worthy. Why? Because he decided he's not lo- he's not lovable. He's not he's not in a he's not a candidate any longer for the love of his father because of everything he did. So religion tries to get us into this broken cycle of earning and proving to God that we are worthy enough to be accepted by him. And the lie of religion, and it gets into so many of us, is that we constantly rehearse and replay this thought of going, man, I'm just just not good enough for God to really show his favor towards him. Because we talk about favor, and we talk about the goodness of God, and we say, man, God wants to bless your life. And there's this gnawing concern on the inside of you that goes, yeah, but, but not for me, because... Maybe someday when I get good enough, maybe someday when I work hard enough and prove that I'm a good Christian and prove that uh, I've got my life together and that I've got my, my Bible reading plan hasn't missed a day in a couple months and my, you know, I've, you know I haven't lost it with my family and I, I, I didn't, you know, go over the edge when I was hanging out with my, my friends and I just, you just... You feel it, man, once I can measure up, then I can come to dad and say, okay, dad, I'm ready for you to accept me. And, and the lie of religion is that I'll be accepted when or I'm only lovable if, right? And it's a subtle thing because it's masked in this kind of cloak of religiosity or it's masked in this sense where you just feel like, well, of course, I mean, I should try to be a good person and I I should try to live for Jesus. And isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Live a good life and be, be kind to my neighbors and love people and pray for those who hurt me and forgive people. Aren't I supposed to be doing all these good things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's the life of following Christ. But the, but the lie is that you're not loved until. 
that you're not loved until those things. And they get fueled by these kinds of questions that end up plaguing us. Man, how could God still love me after I've done this? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever wondered, right? That, that's a question that's going to come to get you into this lie that his love is based on your performance. Man, doesn't, here's another, doesn't God just use the holy people, you know? As if all pastors have got it all figured out, and that's why he decides to finally, use, oh, you upgraded to perfection. Now you're a pastor. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I wish. That's not how it works, right? I got issues, right? I wonder, um, here's, here's something I, I've felt too. I wonder when my grace is going to run out. You know, because I, I think most of us in this room might go, man, I know God has grace, but, I mean, like, how many times is, is he going to forgive me again? I mean, I understand the first, like, thousand times, but, but, I mean, once you're tipping past a thousand offenses to the grace of God and to the goodness, it's got to stack up. It's got to come to a limit at some point, right? I mean, it's got to. And so we have this feeling, this fear that starts getting inside of us going, man, I know he's forgiven me this time, but what about next time? Is this really, could he really, could it really be a never-ending amount of, of grace towards me, you know? So that lie keeps creeping in like, man, you better not mess up again. You better not mess up again. Because if you do, then you're out. That, that's, that's, that's religion. Uh, maybe even just thought, hey, what's even really that impressive about me? You know, why, why would God even care to have a relationship with me. Um, with all the people in the world, why does God even take notice of me? I think sometimes some of these self-thoughts, we don't even realize we're thinking them, and, and it's the enemy kind of coming in to get us off track, get us buying into the lie, getting us buying into the thought that I have to earn the affection of heaven, uh, and, and that somehow maybe God isn't really interested in me. I, I remember, I think I've maybe mentioned this before, but I remember one time uh, up in the Seattle area, I was doing an interview on the University of Washington campus and asked a two-question survey. I said, um, number one, do you believe in God? And I was actually shocked that most of them said yes. And then I said, you know, do you believe that God has a plan for you? And sadly... Most of them said no. Most didn't necessarily have a problem with a general concept of a God character figure in their life, but very, very few believed that they were valuable enough for God to have intentional plans for them, right? That he was too busy, too distracted. But for me, I, I'm not sure about that. And I think this is where where we, get, we can get twisted a little bit, we can get off track a little bit, again, assuming that God's attention towards me is based upon my actions or inactions. But Jesus absolutely, it, it, God refutes that in John 3, 16, right? That's why it's one of the most important verses. Tim Tebow didn't write it, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's actually in the Bible, right? Shout out to T Boeing, you know, that was fun while it lasted. Um, for God so loved the world, He loved it in its broken, dysfunctional, messed up state. God 
God so loved the world that he gave, man. He sent Jesus on the ultimate rescue mission. He gave Jesus. He sent him to redeem us even in the middle of our issues before we loved him. So the, the lie of religion is that you're only loved if or you, you'll be loved when. But the truth, the truth of a relationship with God is that you are fully and completely loved by God. You are fully loved by God. So, in my remaining time, let me give you three things, if I can, that kind of help us fight this lie of religion, help us push back against this in our life. Three things we kind of need to remember that we can kind of use. First one is this, is that you were loved from day one. You were loved from day one. Maybe even before day one. Actually, I know, biblically, before day one. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you, right? He knew you. He loved you. He has a plan for you. He formed you intricately, perfectly, the Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single one of us in this, uh, of us in this room fall into this category of wonderfully made hand designed by God, hand put together, every ounce of us intricately formed by God. God set us into motion, breathed his life into us. You, you weren't loved once you got your stuff together. You were loved from day one. And we have to, we have to allow this to sink in, that the love of God towards me has never started or stopped. It has always been towards me. The love of God has always been directed exactly towards you. The love of heaven, the focus of Jesus has been on you, and you were loved from the very first breath, the very first heartbeat, the very first moment you were loved. And you were valued, and you were seen by God as valuable and worth it. You were loved by God. Now, some of you might go, yeah, but what about all this stuff about judgment and sin? What about that? That doesn't seem like all. Well, listen, here, here's the reality. Sin does separate us from God. It separated us from God, but it never changed his love towards us. And that's what we have to understand. Yes, my sin broke relationship. Yes, sin creates barriers and distance, but it doesn't change the heart of God towards us. It never did. It never did. It never did. The love of God is eternal and never ending and always towards you. I think about this with my, my girls. Katie and I have two beautiful daughters, ages seven and nine, going on 10 uh, and eight. There we go. <laughs> Basic math, just testing you guys. I've been on summer break for a few years, so still brushing up on my, on my math. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know what? I love him. I, I loved him from the first time Katie said we're pregnant. I loved him from the first ultrasound I saw. They, before they did anything, before they impressed me with their school skills and their sports skills and their artist skills and their makeup skills and their, you know, like before they wrote the first I love you daddy note, before they did any of that, I loved him. I loved him. Oh my God, I loved him, right? But how many know that children are not perfect? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Anybody? If you're a child, you're not perfect, so you can, you can know that. And if you're, if you're a parent, 
You know, your kids ain't perfect, right? So I have these two beautiful daughters. And here's the reality. Sometimes they frustrate me. Sometimes they disobey me directly, <laughs> intentionally, well looking at me. You know what I'm saying? Like, right? It is defiance at the highest level, right? Um, they sneak things. They steal, you know, like something I said, don't do that. They, all of a sudden they're doing that, right? Don't like tell myself all this stuff. I'm just saying like, they're humans, right? They mess up. They have agitated me, but it has never once changed my love towards them. Not once, not once. Frustrated, yes. Wishing they'd made, made different decisions, absolutely. But did I ever think to myself, God, I just, thinking about getting rid of them. <laughs> never. Not yet. Not yet. So far, so good. So far, so good. I'm, I'm feeling solid about that. But I am human, okay? <laughs> I, I, I've, never, I've never thought I'm done with these kids, even though maybe there's been frustration. But we sometimes forget the reality that just because maybe I, I've sinned, I've missed a mark with God, I haven't obeyed him fully, I haven't honored him and everything, we, we translate uh, performance society, maybe even a family that was very performance-based in, in its love and appreciation, we translate that onto God and assume that God is like that. And that if I'm not good, that God may be angry with me today. And a lot of times religion... Uh, ha has been fear-based type of Christianity where it's trying to force you and me to, to do all the good things or God is going to be angry at you, right? And if you live that way where you think you just have a dad that is ready to swing at you at any moment, how I many know that's not a healthy way to live, right? Th that's not good. But somehow religion has painted God like that as an angry dad who's about ready to backhand your face if you do one wrong thing, right? But that's not God. God has never once changed his love towards you. Has there been, was there a debt of sin that had to be satisfied in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. There was a, there was a debt that Jesus, when he died on the cross and, and paid with his blood, man, that is the exchange that paid the debt of sin that you and me owed. But that didn't all of a sudden go, man, God's like this angry dad who the angels are holding him back, and he was about ready to just smite us all. And then Jesus steps in and goes, okay, I did it. And he's like, all right, listen, only because Jesus, but otherwise I'm about to kill everybody. <laughs> but people think of God like that. It, it's, hard, it's hard to have a relationship with a dad like that. It's hard to have a relationship if you assume he's always mad at you. But even though he instructs us and he corrects us and he challenges us and he pulls us back onto the right track when we've messed up and he constantly calls us to obedience, his love for you has never changed. His love for you is eternal and forever and nothing in heaven or hell or on earth can change his love towards you. You are fully loved by God from day one. Amen. Number two, number two, 
You were redeemed by his love. So first thing you got to remember is that you were loved from day one, but then you got to remember how you got saved in the first place, right? Well, we, this is so important for us to remember when it comes to religion, because if we're not careful, we can switch back into missing the mark on this. But there's so many scriptures that remind us that we were redeemed by Jesus, or we were ransomed, which I love that term ransomed right? A lot of times we think of a ransom note in some cool movie or whatever, but when it says that Jesus ransomed you and me with his blood, with his life, I love the term ransom because it's not just like he went to a convenience counter where the devil was like selling the souls of humanity and was like, I'll take everyone, and he's like, okay, that's going to be this amount of money, and he gave him the money, and it was like this nice, easy exchange. It wasn't like that. The devil, it was more of a hostage situation. The devil was not interested in releasing us to Jesus, right? He was like Liam Neeson with a special set of skills. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? That was Jesus. Ransom means that he went in and aggressively took back what was his by his own blood. He, when he ransomed you and me with his life, it was, it was a, a taking back of his kids as if we'd been trafficked, which is basically what had happened because of sin. So Jesus came and freed us and saved us and restored relationship again between us and the Father. And the reality is, while we were dead in our sin, Jesus made us alive again. And whenever we get the tempting thought to go, man, I know I'm a Christian, but I just don't know if, if God's grace is still going to cover this. Or I don't know if God loves me. Or man, once I get my act together, then I'm going to really follow Jesus. Then I'll get on a team, or then I'll really kind of get involved, or then I'll start. And when we do that, we unintentionally have decided to put the weight of our salvation on our own efforts rather than on what Jesus already did. See, you were loved from day one, but when you had, and I had to get bought back, when you and I had to get our life ransomed and saved and restored, it was not my doing that had any part to play in this. It was not my efforts. It was not my actions. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10, or yeah, 8 and 9 says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, not by works, right? You and me didn't get saved by our own human efforts. You didn't get restored because you were a good person. I, I didn't get restored just because I, I grew up in a, uh, my mom and dad were Christians. They loved God. They loved each other. They loved us. I grew up learning about Jesus from a young age. But it wasn't because I grew up in a good home that I'm a Christian. It wasn't because I had a good set of parents that I'm a Christian. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. And sometimes when you do grow up in a great godly environment, which is the ideal environment we always want people to grow up in, I'm thankful my kids grew up in that. I'm glad I grew up in that. But if, if you're not careful, when you grow up in that environment where maybe you don't have the story of, man, I was you know, using and selling and abusing, and then God saved me, sometimes you can start thinking, oh, I'm a pretty good person. That must be why God loves me. I'm a pretty good person because I haven't really done this, this, and that. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm going to heaven. But that's not why any of us get to go to heaven. And the reason why it's so important that our access to eternity is not based on our works. Because even if I thought I could do some good to try to earn some points with God, when I mess up, then I instantly realize, well, looks like I'm out. Right? Because y'all, we can have some good days, right? You ever have those good days where you don't yell at anybody? You know what I'm saying? 
You don't get mad. You don't have road rage. You know what I'm saying? It just seems like everything goes well, right? And you're just like, man, I'm good. Look at me just doing life, living the blessed life. You know what I'm saying? Like, God loves me. God's favor is on me. I even got a front row parking spot. And then you have the next day where you're just freaking off the handle at people. You know what I mean? And, and we can have days like that. And we can have seasons where we're all over the place. And it's so important that I remember that my standing with Jesus is not based on my effort. Because if I think it is, then I'm in trouble when I have a bad day, right? But when I'm reminded that my relationship with God and my standing with Jesus is based on what he did on the cross and not based on what I've tried to do, then I can walk with a little bit more confidence, right? Religion's always going to try to get me thinking I got to earn my good graces with God. It's always going to try to get me thinking I got to get things right and then, then God will love me. I got to work. I got to work this situation out at home or at work or or whatever it is. And we can constantly live in that state where we we keep unintentionally assuming that that God is interested in me because I've been a good person. But that's never been the reason why God loved you in the first place. Are you thankful for that? (laughs) Are you thankful for that? He loves me because he's good. He loves me because I'm his Son, you're his son, you're his daughter. That's why he loves you. Not because of any effort, not because of any intentional work that you did on your part. And the beauty is now I live and do good things because I'm loved, not to get love. Right? So that's the Christian life. That's following Jesus is, is I get to live this life for him as a response, as a response to his grace, not to earn it, not to earn it. Anytime I start thinking I'm earning God's grace, that's what I've, I've done this, which Paul challenges the Galatians in 3 verse 3. Again, it's a nice gentle little thing the apostles bring to the church. He said, are you foolish? <laughs> After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And man, we try to do this all the time. Oh man, God saved me. God he forgave me. But now on Monday, here I am trying to, God, man, I'm sorry. I messed up again. Can you ever, for-? it's like, what do, why do we posture ourselves with God like that? You know what? When my, when my girls make a mistake and we have a conversation and we navigate it and I forgive and we all move on, every time I see them, I'm not rehashing that with them. Oh, how dare you come and try to get food out of the fridge? Are you kidding me? You remember what you said yesterday? You better get yourself back in that bed. <laughs> but we think God's like that. Like, God, I'm sorry. I, I hate to ask you for something today because I know I sinned yesterday. You know? That's, that's religion. That, that's the spirit of religion that gets on the, it, it gets us messed up. It gets us off track. See, God doesn't want us to engage with him like that. He's a loving father. Man, when you mess up, you confess it. You say, God, I'm sorry. And he goes, I forgive you. Let's go. Back on track. And that's with the prodigal son. He comes. He gives his speech about why he's not worthy in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. So they began to celebrate. That's it. That's it. That's relationship with God over religion. Not I'm not worthy because of my actions. God said, man, uh, you're worthy because you're my son. You're my daughter. Not because of your actions or inactions. If my good works can kind of get me into heaven, then, then messing up my bad works end up getting me kicked out. That's a fearful way to live. I'm constantly in flux of whether or not I hope my good outweighs my bad. And that's a prevalent religious mindset in culture. That when I get to heaven, as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to be all right. But that's religion. That's the lie of the enemy, trying to just get you chasing good works. And that's why many times we live frustrated. We live below our potential with God. We live in depression a lot of times because we, we're not measuring up. Because I can't, I can't be perfect. I, I can't have it all together all the time. I can't win every time. Although in Jesus name, all I do is win. Come on somebody. <laughs> Pastor Matt was here, cancel. Come on somebody. <laughs> Spirit of Pastor Matt's in the house tonight. Thank you Jesus. I'm sorry, we can win. But if you forget your confession of faith, and you don't win that one time. And uh, man, I'm telling you what, God just wants to keep inviting you close. Let's all stand to our feet. I want to pray and, and just create a, a space for a couple, couple opportunities to respond uh, to what God's wanting to do in our hearts here tonight. We just bow your heads with me and just kind of, kind of a moment of self-reflection and you and God, your relationship with God, where you're at. First thing I just want to ask, this is one of those questions that we all have to make a decision at some point is, is uh, am I going to receive what Jesus did on the cross? Am I going to choose to follow Jesus? And am I going to choose to put my faith in him? Because when I put my faith in Jesus, that's when, that's when, um, that's when things change. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.